This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Clean Cause. Do you need a healthier option for a quick boost? You can grab a Clean Cause organic herba mate, get your day going with 160 milligrams of better caffeine. Won't cause crashes, won't cause the jitters like a lot of the energy drinks and coffee might do for you. Uh, you can choose from eight flavors. I have a sparkling herba mate, or you can try the newly launched non-carbonated herba mate, uh, which I'm drinking right now. It's, I'm, I'm sipping on the blueberry one today. It's the first one I tried. It's really good. Um, the best part is, here it is, that every sip makes a difference in the fight against addiction. Clean Cause donates 50% of net profits to support individuals in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, so one of my favorite parts and why we partner with these guys, not just because they're great drinks, you get a little boost from some all-natural caffeine, but man, they really um, take pride in serving uh, those who are struggling with alcohol and drug addiction. So uh, grab a boost, live better, transform lives. You can head on over to cleancause.com right now and get 20% off your order with promo code SOBERGUY. That's cleancause.com. Enter the promo code SOBERGUY at checkout and save 20%. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Ramey. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. You can find more podcasts, more resources. You can also connect with us by going to thatsoberguy.com. No you can follow us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. We'll put all the links from today's show in the show notes so they're easy for you to find. Our guest today is Param Nematola. And Parham is a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, also holds a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Uh, and Parham has over a decade of experience working in the field of mental health and addiction treatment services. Uh, he's currently the chief operating officer over at Buckeye Recovery Network in Huntington Beach, California. And uh, Parham also coaches, this is the part I love, I can't wait to talk to him a little bit about this, coaches boys varsity basketball team uh, at Elisa Niguel uh, High School. Uh, and his unique approach places a strong emphasis on mental health and mental wellness, uh, which is such a huge part with our youth today. Um, so just really doing his best to provide student athletes with the tools necessary to succeed, not just playing hoop, but off the basketball court in life and life skills and just being a better human being. So uh, Parm, it's great to have you on the podcast today, man. Thanks for taking uh, some time with us, man. Hey, thank you so much, man. It's an honor and a privilege to be on this podcast. And I just want to thank you for the work you do on the front lines and amplifying your voice to hopefully get to those who, who need to hear it and help another human being have the opportunity to, to possibly get sober. So, so right on, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, great, great stuff. And, and that's, that's the goal. Um, you know, we're going to share a little bit today, have a great conversation. And uh, man, for those out there listening, hopefully something speaks to you and uh, we'll have plenty of resources by the end if you need to reach out or you have questions or anything like that. So uh, Parham, let's just start um, for those out there listening. Just give us a little background about yourself so those can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, right on, man. So first and foremost, any talk I ever do is always dedicated to one thing and one thing only, and that's the possibility of human transformation. So I believe all human beings, including myself, including you and everyone that's listening, has the ability and the opportunity and the accessibility to transform their lives in any given moment. I believe if you had a bad day yesterday, you can transform and have a good day today. If you had a bad week last week, you can have a wonderful week in the upcoming week. If you had a bad month, bad year, bad decade, the possibility of transformation exists. And that's the premise of anything and everything I do. 
So, um, yeah, a few things about myself. Like you said, you know, I'm the chief operating officer of Buckeye Recovery Network. We're an intensive outpatient here in Huntington Beach, California. I do have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, like you said, and my passion is working with those who are struggling with addictions and mental illness and addictive processes and um, kind of to keep myself centered and balanced. You know, the basketball coaching is something I've been doing for 15 seasons now. Wow. And, And the emphasis on mental health is real, man. I make these kids sit down in groups. I make them breathe. I make them meditate. I make them talk about their lives. I make them talk yes. about their struggles. You know, at first, getting vulnerable for young men is a tough thing to do. But over time, yeah. when they realize that it's okay to show emotions, it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to be human, they start to find a lot of healing in those circles. And it translates to the basketball court. But more importantly, man, it translates to off the basketball court. And yeah. the program I developed there is called the Crown of Champions. It allows student athletes to develop the tools on and off the basketball court to help them in this bigger picture of life. So that's kind of me in a nutshell right there. And, you know, the most important part for the, the, the audience here is I am in recovery myself. So June 13th of 2008 is the day that I transformed and went from living one version of life, which was getting high and getting by to finding out what else is available for myself. And the journey has been beautiful. Uh, I've been able to maintain that recovery and that transformation since that day. Wasn't my first time in the rodeo, but I've been able to maintain it from that day, and it's uh, it's been nothing but uh, beautiful moments. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. I love uh, I love that you're implementing this, um, you know, mental health, mental awareness, um, uh, overall, just wellness, emotionally, um, mentally, obviously, physically, doing sports. Um, but to see that in in young uh, young people coming up. Um, it has to be very fulfilling and I'm sure it's something that you enjoy to do and to see some of the results of those, um, of those kids, not only on the basketball court, but maybe in academics, maybe in their personal life after they go on to graduate. Um, do you get to see some of that and see some, some of these folks that really having some, some success and, uh, and hear from them ever? Yeah, absolutely. All the time, actually, you know, I I keep in contact with, uh, many of the players from the past. Actually, they keep in contact with me because What happens is when you're 14, 15, 16 years old and you start to experience anxiety for the first time or you start to experience depression for the first time or you're starting to feel social anxiety, uh, there's not many people. I mean, you can talk to your peers, but they're probably on the same level. And a lot of parents, unfortunately, don't have the vocabulary or the language or the ability to be able to communicate at that level with with a child, an adolescent in development. So I'm able to plant some seeds for them to say, hey, when you're experiencing anxiety, let's do some breathing. Let's walk you off this cliff. Let's walk you off this panic attack. When they're going through breakups in school, let's let's get some perspective and, and, and zoom out and realize that this moment isn't the catastrophic moment of your life. There's yeah. actually more in the horizon for you. When they're struggling academically, you put them on a path to say, hey, what can you do today just to be 1% better than yesterday? And what happens is over time, uh, people remember when someone's compassionate to them. People remember when someone gives them tools. People remember when someone... Uh, doesn't give up on them when they give up on themselves. And what happens is when they're in college or whatever the next chapter of their life is, you know, I'll get those phone calls and, you know, they'll they'll call you coach and it feels good to to hear that word. And, and uh, just knowing that something stuck with them. And the only agreement that I have with all of them is to one day pay it forward and make sure that they do the same for someone else across their journey. I love it, man. The act of service. And yeah, I, I, uh, I coach my son's baseball. And so uh, he's only, he's only nine. So he's still, you know, he's still growing and in that space, but I love like from the past two previous season, I'll, I'll see one of the boys and uh, coach Shane, coach Shane. And it's just like the coolest thing, you know, I'm like, man, you know, you get to talk to him and see, oh man, you're going to play this year. How's things? How's the family? You know, whatever. Um, just one of the best feelings ever, man. And, 
and paying it forward, um, you know, to add to it, the best mentality. Um, let me, let me back up just a little bit. I was hoping maybe that you could share, uh, just, just briefly, man, just like, what was life like for you, um, before you got sober and then, um, transitioning into like, what was it that finally gave you the courage and like the desperation to say like, I'm done with this crap. Like I'm over. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll, I'll do the cliff note version yeah. of this, but I was born in a, in a country called Iran. And when I was born, the country was in an eight year war with the country Iraq. So when I was in my mom's stomach, you could, uh, you know, the, the city with sirens would go off and people have to go down in the bunkers because it was about mm. to get bombed. Yeah. So long before I was even born, I knew what the feeling of anxiety was because the mom can download that onto the, to the infant. And, you know, so I was born with a baseline of anxiety. And, and as a byproduct of war, my family was able to immigrate to the United States. You know, not many people were able to, but some were. And in those first formative years of my life, we actually went back and forth with Iran and the U.S., you know, significantly. So yeah. one thing that I could tell the audience is it doesn't matter if you're moving country to country. I know a lot of people moving city to city or school to school that can start to get wrapped with that blanket of social anxiety. So you can go from state to state and it has the same feeling. Yeah. For me, it was a little bit more severe because, you know, I, I was in the U.S. and we went back to Iran in fourth grade. And all of a sudden I didn't know how to read and write because they write a completely different language. So there was all these feelings that I always had that were just kind of uh, uncomfortable in my own skin, let's call it, uh, feeling like I'm not a part of no matter where I went. And finally, when I was 16 years old, I moved permanently back to the U.S. And, you know, I'm in a school of 3000 kids. I used to have a lot of adolescent acne. I didn't know one person. And I always say this and I say this with caution as a drug and alcohol counselor. But thank God for weed in those early years of my life. And, and I really want the audience to hear this because it helped me deal with emotions, anxiety, depression that I didn't know what else to do with, man. I mean, I didn't know who to talk about. And when I would smoke in those early stages, it would just take that anxiety away. It would help me fall asleep at night yeah. and help me feel connected to other people. But as most the audience here knows that eventually that journey kind of has a shelf life. Yeah. And what was helping me one day started to be the thing that was actually hurting me. So as drugs evolved, you know, my, my evolution of drugs, my mom went through breast cancer at a young age. And when she got sent home uh, from the hospital, she was sent home with a pharmacy. You know, this was before the opiates were really regulated. She got sent home with anything and everything. And I took anything and everything from because she was uh, opiate adverse. So she would get sick if she took them. And that's when I ended up, you know, my first detox. And uh, after that, and it's it just uh, the relationship with drugs just started to evolve. You know, it's uh, started off innocently with with things like alcohol and going out late nights and, and a lot of cocaine and cocaine infused nights. And, you know, at some point, I think uh, you cross a line that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you start to not uh, notice or recognize the reflection. And that happened to me around, um, I'd say probably 20 years old, that I started doing things out of character. I started saying things out of character. I started acting out of character. I started to lose my moral compass. I started to lose my values, my self-esteem. My family stopped, you know, um, interacting and, and hanging out with me. So what I had to do was find lower levels of companions that I'm not as bad as them. So I can't be that bad. You know, yeah. and I just kept going down the down the line. And, you know, to fast forward this for the audience about uh, when I was 24 years old, you know, in and out of some treatments, in and out of doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, outpatients, inpatients. Um, eventually, my mom's cancer came back. Mm. And one day my brother said, hey, man, you're such a, you know, you, the reason why mom is sick is because of you. And, I, and he, my brother was just so angry at me. And, you know, I didn't understand at the time. Right now, I know that stress can cause physical illness. You know, if a mom goes 
day after day, night after night, and doesn't fall asleep at night because she's worried if I'm going to overdose or die. Uh, today, I know that can cause illness in somebody's body. But so uh, June, June 12th of 2008, I checked myself into a rehab and the guy said, I need you to come in right now and stay tonight. I say, no, 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 I'll, I'll stay, but I'll come tomorrow. Because most drug addicts and alcoholics are the busiest people in the world with nothing to do. <laughs> That's true. So I told myself I'll be back tomorrow. And, you know, that night I actually overdosed on these things called Oxycontin 80s. We had them back then. And uh, I took some benzos with it and, and, and I, I got knocked out, rushed to the hospital. When I came to in the morning on June 13th of 2008, my mom was also in the hospital, not because I had just overdosed, but because she was there for cancer treatment at the same hospital in Newport Beach. And she was sitting in the in, in the room with me and you could tell that she'd been crying all night. Her cheeks were puffy. And um, I just looked at her and I said to myself, dude, what am I doing to this person? Like, what did she ever do to sign up for this life that I've given her? And later on in the rooms, I learned this quote, man. It said, when suffering loses its value, healing becomes instantaneous. And all the suffering I had in my life, which, you know, there was a, there was a lot of stuff that we're just glancing over. But when I saw my mom in that vulnerable state, you know, fighting for her life, all the suffering that I had, it lost its value. And it allowed me to kind of enter the world of recovery and transformation with a willingness that I never had before. And that was it, man. Yeah, that was it. Gosh, man. Th thanks for sharing that. That's, um, it's, uh, you know, that when you get to that point of, um, we think that our lives are so big and there's so much going on and then something bigger than that happens and you, you completely have a wake up call in, in many instances. Um, so that, that moment you got sober 2008, um, did you immediately go into uh, helping others and in, in kind of serving in mental health space and uh, different addiction treatment centers? Yeah. So when I was 24 years old, I had 12 college units that I got in a community college. I had no education background. Uh, the counselor that uh, helped me get sober was someone that, you know, when I left his office that first day, even though I overdosed that night, when I left his office, I promised myself that one day I'm going to make another human being feel the way this man made me feel. It was the first time I'd ever been, I, I felt seen, I felt heard, I felt not judged. And um, I wanted to be him. You know, we all got role models. Before this, my role models were like Al Pacino and Scarface, Johnny Depp and Blow, you know, Robert De Niro and Goodfellas. Yeah. And now I had a new role model, man, because I've never seen someone that just, you know, uh, commits his whole life to helping out other human beings. And so I just asked them, what do I have to do to become like you? You know, as, as corny as that sounds, and he, and, he, and he suggested some classes at Saddleback Community College, which this is a really, really cool uh, note for the audience. So when I said I had 12 units of co community college, it was at this place called Saddleback Community College back in like 2002, 2003, after I graduated high school. I dropped out. I got kicked out. You know, I academic probation. Last year in March, I got hired as a faculty member of the School of Health Sciences at Saddleback Community College as a teacher. <laughs> that's full circle. Damn, man, that's crazy. Dude, that's what yeah, happens college, sometimes. I'm a college dude. professor, bro, yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, it's, it's funny how like God works like that, man, in mysterious ways, like where all of a sudden you find yourself at one point in life and then years down the road, Oh man, that's what that was for. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, I did. So I, I, I enrolled in something in 2008 called the drug and alcohol studies program. You know, some, some community colleges offer them, uh, there's financial aid available and just kind of one foot in front of the other. I didn't stop going to school for seven years straight. And that's when I got my master's degree. So there was a lot of time, hustle, sacrifice, you know, all that kind of stuff in that journey. But because I didn't want to go back to my old life and I didn't want what I had. 
I was willing to do the work and willing to make those sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the effects that in particularly alcohol is having on men is having on their families is having on our communities. What are you seeing over at Buckeye? What are you seeing as a professor? Um, what are you seeing in the schools even? I mean, what, what does that look like? Yeah, you know, alcohol consumption has always been high in our society. And the primary reason is because it's the only, I, I call it the king of all drugs, by the way, for the audience listening right now. I know there's a big buzz about, you know, the opiates and the fentanyls yeah. and, you know, the cocaine, methamphetamines, but alcohol is the king of all drugs. It's the equal opportunity to destroyer. It goes into the bloodstream and it destroys all of the organs of the body equally, the hair, skin, nails, tissues, uh, organs, all of them equally. Uh, and actually more people die from alcohol related issues than all other drugs combined. Mm. And the reason is because it's not so instant. You don't drink and die from it. I mean, sometimes you could with a, with a slip and fall, but later on in life with, with impacts of the liver and the kidney and, and the heart, you know, it, it's, it kills a lot of people, but it's, it's, it's uh, marketed and packaged in such a beautiful way. I mean, look at a Corona yeah. commercial. Who doesn't want that? You know, look at a nice gentleman's whiskey commercial, you know, who doesn't want that? But people that struggle with alcoholism are oftentimes using alcohol for something completely different than it's marketed for. They're using it to be able to take away their anxiety. They're using it to be able to, to, to create the social uh, ability to walk up to someone and say, hey, my name is so-and-so because they lack the self-confidence. They use it for so many different reasons. And you know, with men, since you asked that question, our society has taught men in general that when a boy, like you said, your son's playing uh, baseball right now, if a nine-year-old in a baseball field falls down and really hurts his knee, everyone's going to say, yo, get get up, put some dirt on it, get up. Boys don't cry. And in that subtle message, something really profound happens that that young kid learns at a young age that as a man in society, I'm not supposed to show my emotions. I'm not supposed to show sadness, fear. I'm not supposed to show any of that. I got to just bottle it up. And when you bottle things up for for years and decades, I mean, something's got to give. Yeah. And that's when alcohol consumption starts to really, you know, later on in life, we see it with a lot of men in their 30s and 40s. They're, they might have had a healthy relationship with alcohol until then, but because of the way that they process their emotions and suppress their emotions for so long, that alcohol is going to come and, and you know, it, it's explosive. Um, it, it creates out of character traits for people. It really ruins relationship. It puts gaps between relationships and intimacy. And uh, it is a big problem. And, you know, post-COVID alcohol consumption with the ability to deliver alcohol to your front door. I mean, that never existed. You know, it's after a certain yeah. time, if you couldn't get alcohol, it was a, the, the night was over. Now you can get it delivered to you, you know, throughout the day. A lot of people working from home no longer have the, you know, the, the checks and balances of not being drunk on the job. They can drink at home. Yeah. And uh, it is a significant impact, man. And it's um, I hope the audience really doesn't look at it as something uh, cute and marketed and packaged and, you know, in, in restaurants and bars, but looks at it as the drug it is. Because at the end of the day, man, ethanol, which is the primary ingredient that we all look for in alcohol that kind of gives us the head change, it is classified as a poison. Yeah. So when they say alcohol poisoning, it legitimately means you've poisoned your physical body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know? yeah. Um, what, what would you say to, to somebody out there or, or how do you, how do you ask them or, or give them some insight into the question they might be asking themselves? Do I have a drinking problem? Like, what does that yeah. look like? I mean, obviously I know everyone's situation is a little bit different. Um, but what are some, like, what are some main, um, couple of tips maybe that someone might look out for to, to go, Hey, you know, I think maybe 
I need to take a break or I might need to reach out and, and, and talk a little bit more about this. Yeah, you know, so uh, addiction or alcoholism, if you want to call it in this case, is classified as the continued use of a drink or a drug despite of negative consequences. So if you're consuming alcohol and you're starting to get negative consequences in various areas of your life, it could be financial, could be relationships, it could be health, it could be just your, your, your self-image. And despite of all those negative consequences, you continue to drink, that's the first sign right there. You know, because something's something's happening deeper than that. So that's number one. Number two, there's this really famous guy named Gabor Mate. He's like the leading kind of, you know, the leading person in addiction. He says, it is impossible to understand addictions without first finding out what it is the addict finds or hopes to find from the drink, the drug, or the addictive behavior. So for people like that, that are kind of in the contemplation, they don't know, instead of saying what's wrong with your drinking, I like to ask the question, what's right with your drinking? And here's what that means. What do you get out of your drinking? So some people say, well, it helps me quiet my mind. It helps me tolerate people around me a little bit more. It helps me sleep at night, right? So then the work becomes this. Why is your mind so loud that you can't quiet it? Why are the people around you impacting you to the point that you can't tolerate them? Why can't you fall asleep at night? And that's where the kind of the root cause of the drinking is. So sometimes people are more willing to look at that than to look at the drinking, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, I like how you kind of flip it around like that too. Um, yeah. Cause it, it, it makes you think a little bit differently. Um, what about, uh, what about someone, let's say somebody who um, does end up getting some help and they're, they're doing, you know, they're, they're doing, uh, they're doing good. They've kind of cut alcohol out, or at least they're on the path to doing that. What are some healthy things that we can replace that, that with, um, you know, whether fitness, hobbies, um, going back to school, is there anything in particular that, that you, that you see that, um, that, uh, people focus on that helps? Yeah, man. So there's something that happens here that this is what I suggest to, to anybody that kind of has made that big first step of removing something that's preventing them from moving forward in their life. But now they're like, what now what? So in society, we're really good at telling, you know, kids eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, never stop dreaming. What do you want to do? What's your dreams? What's your goals? What's your hopes? We're so good at doing that to kids. But as soon as we turn into adults, we say, oh, hey, not, not that one. Yeah. You, you don't want to do that. Well, that's a bad idea. This and that. So to that person who stopped drinking and now has freed themselves from that daily slavery of needing the drink, my first thing is, what are your dreams, man? I love it. What are you trying to accomplish in life? What's the someday goal you have for yourself? If this is it, then this is it. But I know that's not it because you want more for yourself. You want more for your family. You want more for your, for your life. And to, to really help identify what those goals and dreams are. And then to find ways to encourage them, support them, motivate them to take small incremental steps towards that goal. And, and, and something I've been really tied up on lately is direction is more important than speed. See, when people stop using a substance, they think that they're going to accomplish their goals right away. And that's an unrealistic expectation. But as long as the direction you're headed, the direction you're headed, if it's going to take you to that goal, eventually you're going to get there. It might take you longer than you think, but you got to be able to internalize direction is more important than speed. And of course, physical activity, man. And, and this is, there's a misconception here. I mean, I'm a big physical activity guy. Yeah. I'm a pickleball addict. You know, I play <laughs> nice. three hours of pickleball a day, you know, in full transparency. You ask how <laughs> I find time for it to prioritize it. Um, Love it. But physical activity is there's a misconception that you have to go to the gym and do something high intensity or you got to lift some heavy weights. That's all a myth. All you got to do is move your body. Yeah. That might mean a 30 minute walk 
five, six times a week around your block, listening to some of your favorite nostalgic music when you were a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Move your body and the mind will follow. Oh, Move your it. body and the mind will follow. Physical activity is huge. Health, nutrition, diet. I mean, the body's all connected, man. The mind and body are not two yeah. separate entities. So the better you take care of your body, the better your mind's going to be able to operate. And, uh, you know, the best thing you can do is remove the poison. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's all uphill from there. It's all downhill from there. It's all good to go. What What did you say again about the, the speed? Say that again, the speed process. So direction, yeah. So whenever you're trying to pursue a goal, um, a, a dream, direction is more important than speed. Got it. A lot yeah. of times people get caught up with the fact that they have to get there quick or they have yeah. to get there yesterday or they have to get there in 30, 60, 90 days, which is very common in the, in yeah. the treatment space. That's all a myth, man. As long as your direction is right, think about being on a sailboat, right? As long as the direction of the sailboat's right, you're gonna get there. Yeah. Well, what yeah. I found too in in uh, my own personal experience is when I focus on the speed, I usually fail at it yeah. because I'm I'm only focused on the the end result and the expectations that I've set for myself versus enjoying the process and getting there and following that plan step by step, whether for me, it was even just writing it on a calendar and Xing it off one day at a time and literally going down. And then before I know it, it's like, man, I'm already like four months deep in this. I go back and look at my calendar every single day. It was just one day. And then eventually by that point, it's a habit. And now I'm just, it's a lifestyle at that point. Um, yeah. So I can't, I can't stress out enough too. And I just, um, I love how, how you kind of frame that up. Like everything is not, we live in this society of like fast paced. You need it now. I need it now. Especially for those who struggle in, uh, with addiction. That's not the case, man. We got to have some patience and I know that it takes a minute, but we can learn that over time and just be patient. We don't have to, you know, get that immediate result every single you know day or whatever. So, um, good stuff, man. Good stuff. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Uh, let's see. What about, um, opioids. I know we kind of focus on alcohol for a minute there. I know there's, you, you, you briefly mentioned it. There's so much going on fentanyl, um, opioid crisis. I mean, give us a little take on what you're seeing from, from an inside perspective. Yeah. I mean, the opioid crisis, I have a, a specific talk I give about it just to put everything in perspective for people to, that might not know how big we're talking about here. Right. So about three years ago, there was a couple of Boeing jets that flew up in the air and then they had some mechanical problems and then they crashed. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was two Boeing jets specifically. Mm. When the second Boeing jet crashed, the next day, all of the federal authorities of all the countries of the world said, we can no longer allow these 737 Boeing jets to fly until we figure out what happens. Yeah. Okay. When you break down the amount of people that die from opioid uh, addiction uh, overdose per day, okay, it's one Boeing jet. Every single day, one Boeing jet full of passengers, opioid dependent human beings flies up in the air, that plane crashes, and it's not just a regular crash, it's like a bomb. And where does that bomb hit? It hits every hometown that all those passengers are from. Yeah. It hits the mom, the dad, the grandma, the spouse, the children. But you know what they wanna do? They wanna blame the passengers on the jet for that. And that's the saddest um, version of life that we're experiencing right now because those human beings need help first and foremost. Second of all, it ain't their fault the jet's going down. So opioid um, addiction right now, with especially with, with uh, fentanyl, is something that we see it in the news, but I'm in the front lines. I work in the treatment space. Uh, if the audience, you know, if you guys take my word for it from my expertise and my, and my vantage point, um, I can't tell you how often I got to get on the phone with a mom or a dad who just lost a kid. Mm. 
And this is something that I'll never get used to. If anybody ever tells you, oh, it's just a part of the process and this just happens and they're desensitized to it, they've lost their humanity, man, because for that family, that's the greatest moment or one of the biggest moments of their life. So um, a lot of people, you know, if they were opioid users in the past, maybe with heroin or with specific types of pills, and they're thinking that fentanyl is the same thing or they're thinking that they're getting a specific type and they're safe and all that kind of stuff like that, most overdoses are accidental. I'd say probably 90% of overdoses are accidental. And this is something families sometimes don't know is most overdoses actually happen inside the home. So a lot of families that say, hey, as long as my kid's in the house and I can keep my eye on them, they're safe and this and that, uh, they don't know that they're actually, you know, leading to the statistic that most uh, overdoses happen inside the home. So it is real. It's a epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. It's taking over our society and our youth. Um, and a lot of people might not know there's these things called press pills, which they're very similar to the pills you can get from a pharmacy, except they're, they're made, you know, illicitly and they're pressed with fentanyl in them. And they got these things called hot spots. So you don't know which part of the pill is going to have the majority of the fentanyl in it because it's not evenly distributed. And if you hit a hot spot, my friends, you probably ain't coming back. Wow. That's, I haven't heard that part before the, the hot spot in the press like that. Wow. That's crazy, man. Um, yeah, I just, I just think back to about how, you know, when I still was, you know, doing what I was doing, like how many times I just took random stuff, like without even thinking twice about it and, and how lucky, you know what I mean? Like, because now I, I can't even imagine doing that, you know, it's just so, it's so scary just to even think about. And, um, how do you kind of, do you have to compartmentalize like for, for like you, just as a dude, man, like your personal life, your work you do, like having to talk to families and parents like that. I mean, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, obviously you, you do it often, but, um, how do you kind of deal with that, man? Do you, do you have to, do you have to do any of your own work on, on some of that just to make sure that you're in a good state too? Cause that's some heavy stuff that you, that you got to deal with on, on the daily seems like. Yeah, you know, um, I believe that self-care when you're working in the field of uh, mental health and addictions, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. Yeah. So if I don't prioritize my mental well-being and how I take care of myself, I will not be able to provide the support that other people deserve. If I'm fried, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to show up in that moment and really show up compassionately and show up with a lot of empathy. Uh, And there are people in the field that unfortunately are unable to do that, not because they're bad people, but because they don't recharge their own batteries, you know? So yeah. um, I, with all my clinicians that work here for us at Buckeye, I make sure that they know that their mental health and well-being is first and foremost important because, you know, on an airplane, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on a kid. And that's the best metaphor for, uh, yeah. for working in this field. And it never gets easier, man. It never gets easier. Yeah. And uh, all we can do is just do our part to make the world a better place for that family in that moment. And just know that it comes with, a, it's a part of the, the world that I choose to, you know, spend my day to day in. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Well, well th- thank you for what you do, man. And for your team over at Buckeye. And um, like you said, you know, you guys are on the front lines and um, obviously everywhere in the country, but Southern California, Northern California, man, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of people who need help out here, you know, and, uh, and, and we hope that, you know, we can play our little part in helping folks who need help and want help that, you know, they, they can get it. They have some resources available. 
Um, how, what do you, what do you want time? Do you got like 10 more minutes or is, is that good yeah. or do you need to roll? Okay. So let's, yeah, let's do, sure. let's do about 10, 10 minutes and then, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I wanted to backtrack just a little bit and, and talk about, you talked about having fun again. Right. And I talk about this a lot on the part. I got excited when you started, when you started talking about it, but we kept, we kept rolling. Um, like going back to that childhood state, like when, when we're dudes and we're trying to kick this habit, let's say we have a 20 year plus drinking habit. Like what did we used to do before we drank that challenged us? And that was fun. It's like that childlike faith where we're just free. We're free spirited. We could feel it. Um, for me, there was one, I didn't, I want to always wanted to try surfing. I didn't try it. till I was 39 years old. It was just like three years ago. And, uh, dude, number one, hardest sport I've ever tried in my life, like still suck at it terribly, but I still just love going out, um, and getting in the water and giving it a shot. But there was something in that challenge that makes me feel so alive and so, and, um, and excited and scared a little bit too. And I think that's the feeling of, the alive feeling is like, man, I'm feeling again because I always go back to when I, when I was still drinking, yes, I had a drinking problem, but more or less I had a feeling problem. I did not know how to feel. I did not know how to express emotion, to receive, um, love anything, man. And so I was just, um, I wanted to kind of point that out for those out there listening. Like, what did you used to do? Like, what, what do you love? What do you love doing? And then, so, so I can kind of transition this into a question for you. When you're, when you have people who come into Buckeye, is that something that you implement with them or help them do? Or do you have maybe an example or, or any thoughts on that? Oh, for sure, man. First of all, congratulations on trying something to the age of 39. <laughs> because know, there ain't a- no difference between a 39-year-old and a 9-year-old besides a few moments of life removed. Yeah. I mean, check this out. Anyone in the audience right now, if you close your eyes and you take a walk down memory lane to the time you were eight or nine years old, you'll be able to visualize yourself like that. Yeah. And if you're able to do that, that means that's how connected we are to that young version of ourselves. So to but- deprive our current version of what we know our young version loved is kind of like a is 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 unfair to the present yeah. moment. Well at sure. nine at nine though, we're not see, we're not scared to suck. At yeah. 39. I'm scared shitless to suck because I don't want to suck at anything, you know? And so I've really tried to develop that and implement it into my kids too. Like, look, and if you're out there and you're thinking like, man, I'm going to be the new, the new sober guy. If I drink, like, I don't, how am I going to be that guy out to dinner? I'm the only one not drinking. You're going to suck at something in the beginning, but the more you practice it and you do it a little bit each day, eventually you're not going to suck at it. Number one. And number two, you're going to eventually be the person that someone goes, Hey man, you, you haven't drank for 90. Like how, how do you do that? Can you share a little yeah. bit of that with me? And then it gets, and then that's that whole cycle. So I just love that, man. Yeah, absolutely. So the, 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 I guess the main question that I'll, I'll, I'll post to your audience that they can uh, think about it on their own is this, when's the last time you tried something for the first time? Mm, it's good. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, man. That's, you know, that, that gets people, especially then they're like, Whoa, what yeah. are you? Because at some point in our life, everything we ever tried was for the first time. Mm-hmm. Everything you ever tried in your life was for the first time. But when we become adults, we play it safe. We don't want to take risks. Yep. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to fall on our face. We don't want to be judged. All that kind of stuff, which is all conditioning, by the way. That's not the human spirit. We've been, that's learned behavior over years. And anything that can be learned can be unlearned the way you're learning it, getting your uh, you know butt kicked on the ocean waves, falling down and this and that. You're yeah. learning that you can unlearn that. Like, who cares if I'm not good at this right now? I'm enjoying the journey. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a really good way to go, man. That's what I do with my pickleball thing, you know, just for the audience to hear like what type of, how I engage with that. 
So I'm 40 years old uh, and I'm new to the sport of pickleball and playing it for like a year. My goal is that when I'm 50, I'm going to be a senior pro because <laughs> you can be a senior <laughs> pro at 50. Love it. So here's the thing, man. I'm going out there playing with people that are like way better than me, getting smoked, getting my butt kicked. But here's yeah. the thing. I know that direction is more important than speed. So if every day I just grind, I hustle, I focus, I take care of myself, eventually I'm going to get there. Yeah. And those are the kind of things. And not that that's, a, that's a, a superficial example of something that I'm doing. But now think about whatever it is you're doing in life. Yeah. You know, what is that goal that you want to get to? What lies, what jazzes you up? And and uh, just take a risk. You know, it's uh, some people say, well, taking a risk is too risky. Right. You hear that? You know, <laughs> taking a risk is too risky. Yeah. Well, wait till you get the bill at the end of life for not taking a risk. Wait till you open up the little book at the end of the life and they show you what the bill is for not taking a risk. That sticker value, that shock is going to give you chills, man. Yep. So whatever it is you're trying to do, when you put the bottle down, go do it. That's when we become free. We only get one life, man, and it's short and it goes by quick. So, man, take yeah, I love that. Take a little risk, man. Like have some fun. Like it's so possible to have fun without substances and 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 that that crutch that we think that we need. We don't need that shit. Like it's not good for us. It's not good for the long term. So, um, and man, dude, pickleball. We we have a, a our gym is right down the street. It is huge at our gym right now. Like I mean, they're having tournaments. We I, the kids and I and my wife have played a little bit here and there. But I'm gonna have to jump on the court a little bit more, man, because I it looks so fun and the community aspect of it is what's really cool too. Yeah, it's very diverse in, in, in terms of ages and ranges and all that kind of stuff like that. And it's highly social, by the way. So if you have a hard time with social anxiety, when you get on the court, you're able to kind of uh, communicate with people and it just kind of get connected to people because yeah. addiction, unfortunately, disconnects us. And the last part I want to tell you there about what you shared about earlier, that about the, the falling in love with the process of something in life, right, instead of the outcome. Uh, you know, when we were kids, we would get on a bike and no one would say, where are we going? When are we going to get there? Who's going to be there? You just get on the bike and you go because you love that process. But when we become adults, if you want to get on the bike, you're like, oh, it's going to be too crowded over there. I don't know what I'm going to do over there. What's the point? This and that. Yeah. We forget that the joy doesn't come in the destination, man. It's in that journey. Mm. And it's like that with anything new you try in life. Don't worry about where it's headed or anything like that. Just enjoy the moment by moment experience of life because that's where the feelings exist. That's where the the joy, the vitality, the the hope, all that kind of stuff exists in the moment by moment interaction with whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, I love that, man. Being in the moment, enjoy the process, man. We're all in yep. process. That's it. There ain't no, you ain't, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone else is like, well, hell yeah, I am. You're never going to put the flag on top of the mountain, man. Maybe, but what, you know, what's the next journey after that? Then you're unfulfilled. You're like, okay, I conquered this. What's next? Like, man, the process is, is all part of it. Those ups and downs. Um, all right, man. So, uh, we'll, we'll wrap, wrap up here. Um, just before, before we do that, any advice out there for anyone listening right now, who is, um, I don't know how you can't feel motivated right now after listening to Parham and just hearing some of the stuff that we've chatted about today. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're finding some hope. Um, anything you want to say to folks out there who are going, man, I think like I might want to give it a shot in, in letting go of some of the stuff and making some changes. Yeah. I mean, everybody has a different motivating factor, right? And um, whatever your motivating factor is for change. Now it doesn't have to be lifelong change. Maybe it's just you want to change something in the next 30, 60, 90 days of your life. What you have to, you owe it to yourself to remove whatever it is that's preventing you from succeeding. So find out what it is that's preventing you from succeeding and remove it for a little bit. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yes. 
Are you going to feel a little bit kind of anxious? Yes. Are you going to feel like you aren't going to be able to do it at first? Yes. But when you remove it, it allows you to show up in the moment. It gives you your power back. It allows you to kind of make decisions in your life again, rather than it being the substance making decisions for you and just see where it goes. And for anybody that's hesitant of going into some type of treatment because of their drinking or, or substance use, don't forget that you can also go into treatment for things like your anxiety, for things like your depression, for things of your mental health, with relationship issues, with grief and loss. You know, you can go in for all of those things because for a lot of us, the alcohol isn't the problem. It's actually the solution to a problem. Yeah. And if you can go in for those other reasons and start working on the other issues, then maybe the need for drinking or the amount you're drinking or the, you know, the, the frequency you're drinking, maybe that significantly decreases. And in that, you'll be able to find some freedom. So I'm very big on going into the mental health aspect of health because a lot of people don't want to go in because of the stigma that comes with substance abuse. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I mean, that, that goes back to, like you said, the solution. Why are we drinking so much? Why are we using it? Why are we trying to escape? Why are we trying not to feel? Well, man, it, go, it could go back to your childhood. It could go back to you know your your marriage that fell apart or whatever the heck it is, man. So we got to take a look at that stuff. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, okay, so where, where can folks best connect with you? Where can they reach out if they want more info on Buckeye or any of the work you guys are doing? Where, where's a good place to do that? Yeah, sure, man. If you just go to BuckeyeRecoveryNetwork.com, you'll see who we are and what we're all about. You'll see our facility or see our staff. If you're looking to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram, the one minute therapist. Uh, I got nice. some little videos there. It's not really big, but it's a passion project Love it. and I'm very relatable and always respond to people personally myself. And uh, yeah, check us out, man. And, um, and if it's not us, just find someone that's willing to give you the help yeah. that you need and deserve because uh, you deserve it. Yeah. You're, you're a great dude, man. I really enjoyed this chat with you, man. Thank you. Um, if there's anything that, uh, that we can help with, once again, we'll put all those links today in the show notes. Um, you can go to that sober for more info on the podcast. Um, uh, connect us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. Thanks again to Parham for coming on and shout out to Buckeye and the team. Peace, love and respect. Keep your blood clean. 